we picked up talking about uh, the nature of God and remember that the nature of God is looking at the overall picture of his essence and attributes. And so you put those together in, in composition. And really, when you look at the individual parts of the nature of God, you can see elements of the other two playing together um, uh, as far as the attributes and, and essence. Um, but we'll get into that as we go along. But we started off with immu- is immutability. And so the idea that God can't be changed from the outside and he uh, does not change himself. And so he's not capable, uh, as far as the dictionary, uh, he's not capable or susceptible uh, to change. And the persons of the Godhead do not change themselves uh, within each other. And so there's nothing that the son's going to do to change who the Holy Spirit is or that the father is going to do to change who the son is. Um, and there's nothing that people, more importantly, are going to do to change God. Now, as you think about it, what is it that people say or the reason that they pray for uh, different needs that, that people have? I've literally heard people say that prayer changes things. It literally moves the hand of God. And so we can all get together and pray together in faith, and God has to change what he's going to do. Well, then how can you line that up with God having a plan and purpose if anybody within creation at any time can change what God's going to do? He can't be immutable and that be the the fact. And we know that he is immutable and we're going to prove that from Scripture. And so prayer does not at all change God. People can't change God. Things or situations can't change God. God already knows. (laughs) He knows what's going to happen and what's going to come to be. Um, And so... Uh, we see that we looked at a couple of verses that related to that in the Old Testament. Uh, we'll continue on here. We have one more in the Old Testament over in Proverbs, and then we'll uh, move along uh, into uh, eternality. Um, but go with me before we go over there. Let's bow in the word of prayer, and then we'll start off in Proverbs nineteen twenty-one. Uh, Father, we're grateful for this day, and we're grateful uh, for the fact that you are God, and you do not. Uh, or won't be changed by other people. Uh, We know that you can change in your activity and the things that you choose to do, uh, but we know that those all fall within the plan and purpose that you designed uh, for a time. And so uh, we're grateful for uh, the fact that we can count and rely on you to be uh, stable. We know with mankind that uh, we change in accordance with whatever actions are happening, and we have to react to the things that are happening around us oftentimes. But uh, you, knowing the end from the beginning, don't have to to change at all with those things that are going on within the world. Uh, So again, we're grateful that we can put our faith in you and that you direct us in the proper way. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Go with me over to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. And what we're looking at here when we started off last week is that the counsel of God or the plan that God has shows that he is is immutable. And those things coming to pass within that counsel, uh, we see that the counsel of the Lord stands in spite of man's designs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21. Or 19, I'm sorry. Here goes my dyslexia again. <laughs> 1921. And pick it up in verse 20. My goodness. It's a little warm in here. 
Maybe it's just because I'm by the window. <laughs> um, but in verse 20, it says, um, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the late latter end. Uh, there are many devices in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. And so uh, man can devise his schemes and his plans and purpose and God's counsel will stand. Again, there's nothing that mankind is going to be able to do that's going to change what God has set in place. Uh, we can try as hard as we might. Uh, you might have often in your own personal Christian lives, uh, I know you guys aren't rebels, but there are some believers, believe it or not, that are rebels and say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do what I want to do. Well, you can go only so far with that, right, before God reels you back in and we don't have to go into that, that whole story. Uh, but we also see that the counsel of God approved the crucifixion of Jesus. And so go with me over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. And we could compare this with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we know that um, the spirit beings, had they known what was going to happen by Christ being crucified, they never would have done this, right? Uh, but God in his ultimate wisdom knew exactly what needed to be done and allowed for this to happen. But in Acts chapter 23, I did it again. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Uh, good thing you guys can keep me in, in line today. <laughs> Help, help me with this dyslexia, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> um, pick it up in verse 19. He says, And I will show wonders in heaven uh, above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun uh, shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinative counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have, uh, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Uh, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord before, always before my face, uh, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not uh, leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption." So he goes on there and explains this Old Testament passage from Psalms speaking of David. And he's going to say David wasn't talking about himself. He's been dead and in the grave for, for hundreds of years. He was talking about this one uh, that was raised and crucif or crucified and raised. Uh, but you see there in verse 23, this determinative counsel of God allowed for this to take place. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He ordered the, the events to happen in the way that they did, and it was for his own purpose. Uh, and uh, according to his foreknowledge, you see also. And so uh, 
again, if you compare that with First uh, Corinthians and and the fact that the princes of the uh, and let's go over there really quickly, First Corinthians chapter two. <coughs> you often look at the Bible, and it. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you guys have played chess or not. I've played a time or two. I'm not great at it, but I understand what you're trying to accomplish there with these pieces, right? And you're trying to manipulate those pieces to get that other person in a place where they're checked, right? And this is what scripture is like to me. I see it as the ultimate chess match between God and Satan. And Satan thinks that he's making moves here and there. He might take that queen and it looks like he's going to win. But we've read the back of the book and we know he doesn't, right? And so this is uh, God with a check here, (laughs) putting Satan in check, uh, and he's on the clock. Pick pick it up in verse 6. Let's go back just a little bit further. Pick it up in, well, we'll go from verse 1. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech or and my speech and my preaching was not an enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak, uh, speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Uh, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world. And really that word for uh, world is age that is uh, come to not. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world or before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so you see, uh, if Satan and the demons that were behind all this had known, they wouldn't have crucified him. It's just an amazing thing to to even consider. But God in his infinite wisdom knew exactly how Satan was going to react. And when he reacted in the way that he did, what did he say? Checkmate. <laughs> I got you. I did, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. And so we see that his counsel can't be changed uh, despite what men or spirit beings try to do. We also see that the counsel of God declares all things given uh, to the believer as a result of salvation. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Let's pick it up in... um, uh, This is... Again, this is like one one long verse, so it's hard sometimes to pick out where you should start. But let's start in verse 3. He says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children for a son placement, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, 
wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in, in are on earth, even in him, uh, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so you see all of these things, you can continue to read on through that whole first verse. And there's some amazing things that are stated to be given to the believer as a result of being in Christ. And all of these things are according to the counsel of God. And so it's not going to be changed. There's not going to be anything that anybody can do to take it away from us. We understand that it's according to the plan and purpose of God. And these things are uh, solidified for the believer uh, because God is immutable. Uh, We also see that the counsel of God is stated as immutable in Scripture. And so expressly stated, we see uh, this word for immutable as you turn over to Hebrews. uh, Hebrews chapter six and verse 17, it comes from the Greek word having the idea of not to be transposed or not transferred or fixed or unalterable. Uh, And so it gives this idea. But go with me over to Hebrews chapter six and verse 17. And let's pick it up in verse 10 or verse 9. I'll make up my mind one of these days. (laughs) But in verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things uh, that accompany salvation, though we speak thus, or though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work. And labor of love, uh, which you have shown or showed toward his name and that uh, you have ministered to saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Now, uh, remember, a little bit later in this chapter, he's going to get to talking to these Hebrew saints about a time when they were living the Christian life in a way that they even took the spoiling of their goods to be not a big deal, right? They said, hey, we've lost everything we have, so what? We can still live by grace. And he's talking about the time now that they're not living in such a way. And so as you look to this, he's setting it up kind of for that that idea here that they can still live out the Christian life in spite of the things that are going on around them. In verse 12, he says, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying, I will multiply thee. Now, that verse in verse 13 has just always been an amazing one to me. 
because you look at men and what are the, there was this uh, young guy I remember when when the pastor was doing uh, this teenage outreach up in Portland and one of the things he would always say is I swear to God I didn't do such and such a thing or he would really be adamant when he, he wanted to you to know that he was telling the truth right I swear to God it was the thing that he always said and it was almost like a stomping your feet type thing that he would, really wanted to emphasize that he was telling the truth when, when you're telling the truth as a man there's oftentimes has to be something assigned to that, right? You have to swear by something. You have to be willing to give up something for someone to know that you're telling the truth. God doesn't have to swear by anything. And so he could swear by himself for Abraham just so that he would know uh, that he's telling the truth. But there's no greater thing that he could swear by. So he swore by himself. Um, in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured... He obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them uh, an end of all strife. And so basically what I said there, if somebody can put something on it, like uh, you, you go to make out a loan, what do you have to do? You got to put up some kind of a, a investment to promise those banks that you're going to pay that money back. Right. And so that's how it works. Um, in verse 17, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath that by the two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon hope set before us. Uh, And so uh, in verse 19, he says, which hope we have is an anchor for the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth in uh, that within the veil or into within the veil. Uh, And so as you look at it, uh, God has completed promises and and Abraham might have needed God to say that he swore by himself. Really, he didn't if he had just taken God at faith. Uh, But we can look back to these Old Testament promises that have been fulfilled by a God that doesn't change and doesn't lie. And we can know that he said these things are going to happen in his determinative counsel. And so they're going to happen. And that what is the result of that? You have hope. The things that we look for in the future provide hope that solidifies and steadies us in the present tense. And so this idea of immutability, God uh, can't be altered. The things that he says can't be altered. Uh, and we can count on them as fact for truth uh, in that regard. And so that uh, a piece of that, you see the characteristic of or his attribute of truth, right? That was one of the these seven attributes, uh, and that contributes to his uh, immutability. Um, also, I lost my place here. I went down too far. We see uh, the ability of God uh, to impute things or call things that aren't uh, necessarily so with, with individuals to be so. And so we see this also with Abraham over in chapter 4 of Romans Uh, as a proof of God's immutability. Romans chapter 4, and really this is stated, um, and I always use this chapter as as my advertisement for why Greek is important. (laughs) If you were to read through this chapter in the English, you would see the same word uh, for legitimai, which is a, a word meaning to impute or to count. 
you see it translated several different ways throughout this chapter. And so uh, one might get confused and think those are different words, but they're the same word uh, throughout the chapter. Uh, we can start in verse, uh, pick it up in verse 11. Well, no, not in verse 11. We might need to go back just a little bit further. Uh, pick it up in verse 8. He says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so there's one of the words that we see. Uh, And if you went over to chapter five of of Romans, we see that uh, sin is counted to all men. Right. When you're born into this world, this is what we're talking about on uh, Monday nights. This sin problem that we all have is a result of uh, being born from Adam. All of you. Uh, might be different and have different parents, but we all have one common parent that passed on this sin nature to us, and that's Adam. Uh, and so sin is counted to all of us because we all are counted to have sinned at a point in time in Adam. But in verse 9, he says, Cometh uh, this blessedness thereupon uh, the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now that reckoned there is again our word for imputed or counted uh in verse 10 he says how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision not in circumcision but uncircumcision Uh, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of faith which he had yet being which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of all of them that believe uh, though they be be not circumcised, that righteousness um, might be imputed, and there's our word again, uh, unto them also. And the father of circumcision uh, to them who are not cir- the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith uh, of our father Abraham, which he had being yet in uncircumcision. For the promise that he should be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, through, uh, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they, they which are out of law or uh, of the law be heirs, uh, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, therefore, it is out from faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed not to that only which is of law, but to that which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him uh, whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which uh, be not as though they were. And so uh, it's not a fact that you see that this imputation has happened. There is nothing physical that we can see that points to it. And we are people who are geared toward what? Those things that you can see. And so God calls those things that we can't see as though they are. What does it say over in in, uh, Colossians chapter 3? That God looks to his right hand and sees us. Any of you uh, see yourselves sitting right now in the heavens? I don't see all of you sitting right here. I don't see you seated next to God. But God sees it as a, a perfect act that you're seated right at his right hand at this very moment. Uh, And so it's a a big thing, his imputation, being able to call those things which don't appear to be right now as though they are. Uh, We see that here. 
Uh, we also see over in chapter five, as we alluded to, that he counts uh, the unrighteousness of Adam uh, to to everyone born after Adam and the righteousness of God. He imputes to those uh, who believe. Go back with me over to or over with me to chapter five of Romans. And let's pick it up in verse 12. He says there in verse 12, wherefore, as by one man and speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, this is uh, in, in the aorist tense. And so it doesn't have to do with the fact that we all sin. <laughs> we know that each one of us sin. Uh, any of you in here that they can't say such a thing. Uh, again, we can follow you around if you want to, and let's, let's put you to the test and see what, what happens. Uh, but all are counted to have sin by imputation uh, in Adam, and we're going to see that here. In verse 13, he says, For until uh, the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. And there's our word for counted again. It's not held to your charge or to your account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that it, or was to come. And so what do we know was one of the penalties for Adam's sin? We know that there was spiritual separation or death immediately. We know also that there was physical death that happened as a result of his sin. Now, that same penalty was passed to people all the way from Adam to Moses, even those that had not sinned in the way that Adam sinned. And so what does that mean? Has nothing to do with your individual sins. Has to do with the fact that you were born after Adam. Uh, And so you see that there. But in verse 15, he says, but not as the offense or this word for trespass. So also is the free gift for if through the uh, trespass of one. Many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is by one, or or, excuse me, of many trespasses unto justification or being uh, declared righteous. For if by one man's trespass, Death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, uh, even Jesus Christ. And so you see the work of Christ there uh, is imputed to us because of our faith. And we're able to uh, not be in that place where everyone else is in and in condemnation being passed down from Adam. Uh, And that's just a a wonderful thing of grace. Our next... uh, one that we want to look at is uh, the eternality of God. And so uh, thinking of God as eternal. Um, and so we see that God's, uh, the definition of this is God's existence without beginning, su- succession, or end. There is no time that God had a start. And that is hard for any of us to even wrap our heads around. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to sit there and think about the fact that God didn't have a beginning. But for me, when I try to do it, it makes my head hurt, right? How can our minds even fathom something that doesn't have a big beginning when we look at this world and everything that's in it has a beginning, right? 
You plant a tree, that tree came from a seed. You see a, a animal born, that animal came from its mother and a, and a seed from that mother and the father. <laughs> you see a plant, it came from something. Everything that we see came from something and it has a starting point. So it's very hard for us to wrap our mind around something that doesn't have a beginning. And that's what God is. I count it like uh, when, when we look at things in the world, we look linear, right? There's a starting point over here. There's an ending point somewhere over here. God is circular, always going around and around, always being. There's no starting point uh, on that circle. Uh, and so we see uh, that the persons of the Godhead always shared this life between one, of, one another. Again, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, there was no point that they had a starting point. There is no point that they'll have an end. Uh, and the persons of the Godhead possess life that is superior to all creation. Uh, you can say, and, and people really value life on this earth, right? They value some, the life of human beings. Uh, they value the life of animals at a, at a very high level, probably higher today than it's ever been. And they value the life of plants, right? We don't want to destroy plants because they're life. This is life. Well, God created all of these things. And his, his life is much at a much higher plane uh, than these things that we see in the world. Uh, we see that the persons, uh, or excuse me, the persons of the Godhead may impart a quality of this life to others. And so we're going to look at verses that relate to the fact that God has given us eternal life. And there's a potential for the elect that they will receive eternal life as well. And so that's an amazing thing to think about. Now, we don't I say a quality because if it were God's quality of eternal life and the complete eternal life that he has, we wouldn't have a starting point. But we all have a starting point, right? I, I like the way someone phrased it. If you don't think that you came from someone else, all you need to do is look down at your stomach and you see that little belly button, right, that was attached to your mother uh, and caused you to be, be fed within her womb. And that's uh, a very important thing to see. Now, as we move on to the scriptural evidence for the eternality of God, again, you can go all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament. I limited, limited it to the uh, New Testament here. Uh, but we see in Ephesians again, over in chapter 3 and verse 11, that the, Father, uh, purpose, the Father's purpose in Christ were made in eternity. Go with me over to uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, and we'll give it a run from um, pick it up in verse 4. He says, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promises in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace uh, from the uh, from God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am the less or, or am less than the least of all the saints is given or is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be might be known by the church of uh, by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He hath purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you see this uh, purpose that He made in Christ for these things to be revealed to us didn't just start today, right? It didn't just start when. Adam did what he did in, in the Garden of Eden. It exists beyond time. And so, uh, again, we see everything is related to activities and actions of men. And we relate things all the way to that. And we forget to understand that God is bigger than us. Our, our knowledge is very limited to our experience and those things that we've seen. God's knowledge is unlimited. What do we see in, in his attributes? What, what word do you think would relate uh, to God's infinite knowledge that is seen uh, here in his eternality? Brother Don got it. Anybody hear him whisper? <laughs> Omniscience. That's right. And so God is all-knowing. There's nothing in this that men are doing that catches God by surprise. He knows all of us uh, and knows what we're going to do. And so we see the uh, eternality there. We also see the eternality of the Lord is lauded by Paul in his doxology over in Timothy. Go with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, let's pick this one up in verse 12. He says there, and I thank uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Uh, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That is, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me uh, first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe in the uh, into life everlasting or really there that word for everlasting is our word. Uh, for eternal in verse 17 now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god is glory or honor and glory into the ages of the ages amen uh, and so you see my dyslexia appears again but we see uh this eternal eternality ascribed uh to the son for the work that he's done and again that existing beyond time and Paul understanding the fact that the results of what Christ did have real-time applications to himself. If we go back over when we were studying in Bible study, uh, we have these devotions that we do in, uh, at work on uh, once a week. And looking back to Acts and that sermon that Stephen gave in chapter 7, a sermon that was so good that they 
uh, rocked him to sleep right after he preached it. Uh, tough crowd. <laughs> uh, but who was there and consenting to his death? And where did the persecution start? Started right there with Saul, who we later became Paul. And right, right after that, as you read into the next chapter, chapter 8, it says he began wreaking havoc on the church and going and, and drawing out men and women and uh, children to be persecuted. Uh, but again, as he says here, he did it ignorantly uh, in unbelief. We'll come back next week and we'll look at uh, the rest of these citations. But what we're going to see is, again, these uh, uh, attribute or this, uh, not attribute, this nature of God as it relates to eternity uh, is ascribed to all three persons of the Godhead. And the Son is able to make this eternality available to us as we believe the facts of the gospel. Uh, so we'll look at that uh, continuing on next week. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful uh, that you have given us so many provisions in your son. Uh, we're grateful again for the fact that because of who you are and the fact that you can't be changed, caught off guard, caught by surprise by anything that's going on with us, that you've provided every single thing uh, that's necessary uh, for us to complete what you desire for us to do in these lives. And we pray that we might be able to, to figure it out as we uh, avail ourselves to you and are led by the Spirit uh, that you might get the glory. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.